Roll for initiative. All you nerdy adventurers, I'm your host Heath, and I want to welcome you to today's episode of Everyday Dungeon Master, a podcast for the everyday DM and the players who love them. Today's episode is all about how the mainstream media has made its footprint on Dungeons and Dragons and the positive and negative implications of that. I'm so stoked to talk about it, so I'm ready. If you're ready, let's jump in, let's do it, let's introduce today's guest. Today's guest Dungeon Master can be found on the podcast The Tutorial on YouTube which we will link to in our show notes. He also would consider himself a Dark Lord of the Sith and your friendly neighborhood DM. So basically, he's like the Deadpool of DMs. Please join me in welcoming to the show Dungeon Master Peter. Hello, hello. I will say that Ryan Reynolds is much too handsome to, for me to be compared to Deadpool. <laughs> but an awesome title nonetheless. An awesome title nonetheless. <laughs> one I will humbly accept. <laughs> Deadpool's a great movie. Yeah. Um well, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, so as we start every episode, let's just jump right on into DM icebreakers. Uh, how long have you been a DM, Peter? I've been a DM for a little bit over a year. I think in uh, February was one year mark, so we're coming up on a year and a half. Um, so still kind of new. Training reels came off recently. <laughs> Do they ever really come off, though? No. Like <laughs> <laughs> then you you learn one system, then you go to another system, then you go to another system, then you go to a whole different game, and then you right. start learning those systems. So it's just training wheels on new vehicles. <laughs> Seriously, man. And I rely on those training wheels, man. Let me tell you. I don't think I'm ever ready to take them off. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm too scared. No, they're they're helpful. That's why this is always like a foot away from me when I'm uh when I'm at the table behind the screen. I'm like, what page was that? What page was that? <laughs> that's never going away <laughs> that's a good call man that's a good call um all right so you've been dming for like a, a little over a year year uh what made you take the leap i mean did you play before you dm'd yeah i played for for a while before i dm'd uh, the first time i ever played was actually 3.5 way back in like 2011 um, i was going to college at the time and then i took a hiatus for a while uh, i played fifth edition when it was like brand new off the shelves because uh, a bunch of my friends were like, hey, we play this game. We think you'd like it. And then I didn't play it again until like right about the time the coronavirus uh, lockdown started going on. Because then suddenly all these other friends that I had in my life at the time were like, hey, have you heard of D&D? &D? And I was like, do not <laughs> cite the old magic to me. <laughs> uh, so then what made you take the leap then? So you, you, you got back into it during like COVID. So then what made you take the leap to DM? I'm not sure precisely what it was. I just had this, um, uh, I had this campaign with a couple of friends of mine and a couple of us were discussing feature games. I just sort of had this moment where I'm just like listening to each of them and I'm listening to myself going off about a couple of these ideas. And I'm like, I'm a theater major. I can tell a story. <laughs> like I've done improv for so long. Like why am I not sitting behind this screen yet? And then I was just like, I kept telling myself, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And I remember, um, uh, we'll call him Jack. My friend Jack, who's been playing for a long, long time, way longer than me, uh, was just like, you'll never be ready. Just get behind the screen. And I was like, all right, that's all I had to hear. Dude, 
that's some of the best advice, honestly, because I don't, I really believe that. I don't think you're ever ready to DM. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's one of those things where if you keep, if you keep thinking about it, you'll overthink it. And it's just, you just got to experience it. Absolutely, dude. Uh, I played very, like very few sessions before I started DMing. Like similar to you, I just kind of had like a light bulb moment where I was like, you know what? I can tell a story. I want to tell a story. I'm just going to do it and it's going to be awful, but it'll get better. I'm still waiting for it to get better, but (laughs) yeah, Yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the check and balance there, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe one day, you know, um, well, cool dude. So like, what's your DM style? Like, how would you, how would you describe it? So there's the, the common ones uh, and the ones that you gave me as examples where the rules lawyer, the improv base, I'm kind of a little bit of both because like, you know, if you don't have the rules, you don't have the game. But at the same time, this is my table. Uh, I run the game the way that I think is the most enjoyable for the players first and then myself second. Um, and I, I've, I'm a huge fan of the rule of cool. Uh, I'm a huge advocate for that very first rule in the DMG, which is just basically all of this is guidelines. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, and so I work with that inside of the idea of like these rules exist for a reason. So I'm not going to like crank up AC to a 25 average on everything. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I like to... I like to tell a story as a framework and I like to let the players tell me the story in a way that I never knew it was going to go, which I don't know. I think that's the best way to do it. Dude. Absolutely. And I think that if you go in with expectations that it's going to be your story and remain your story, just stop, go ahead and write a novel. You know, that's fine. That way it can be your story. Your players are going to completely change everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's expect the unexpected. For sure. I think that's the best approach anyway. I mean, being a balanced DM, I think leaning one way, unless, unless your players really want to be like super rules, you know, by the, by the book, that's fine. Play it that way. But I think for most parties, a balanced approach is the best approach, dude. Give us one good, memorable gameplay moment that lives with you, either as a player or as a DM. Uh, I have a pretty good one for each. If you're, if you're willing to hear one of each. Absolutely. So my favorite moment that I've ever had uh, as a player, I got to do a little bit of setup because, you know, it was a game. It was a homebrew game. I can't just be like, oh, Lost Minds. Um, We were playing in this homebrew setting. Uh, It was in fifth edition. Um, I was playing Asimar Celestial Warlock. Uh, My wife was playing an Eladrin Wild Sorcerer. And this was actually her very first game. Not like her very first session, but the first game she'd ever played in. Right, right. Um, and a wood elf hunter, our friend, uh, we'll call him Evan. Uh, he was playing a hunter ranger. So what we were doing, I don't remember how exactly we got there, but we were in this big tower and the tower is run by Loki and he's got all these crazy snake men for some reason. Uh, and he's demanding to know where his witch is. And we have no idea what he's talking about. Um, it turned out later that that was a different NPC that we'd already met and had some rapport with. Uh, but so we get hauled off to the dungeons, we make our escape. And I, when we're on the cusp of escaping by going out this, um, this sort of duct window sort of entrance, these, these lizardmen guard people, they're, they're catching up to us. They're gaining ground in us. Uh, and like, right as we're getting to the exit of it, uh, the, it was the wood elf, the Aladrin, uh, and me to Asimar. Um, and so, one of them reaches up and and grabs my guy's ankle and it's just like, Oh no, I got to shake him off. And so, uh, the Aladrin, uh, it goes to help me by trying to pull me away. And the hunter 
goes, oh, well, I'll pull her. So the DM goes, okay, roll for it. And like a freaking <laughs> Vegas slot machine, 20, 20, 20. Oh, <laughs> the slots, the yeah, slot god spoke. So it, was, it, was so, it was so fun in that moment because it was like, roll, natural 20. Second <laughs> roll, natural 20. Third roll, oh my God, it was so good. And like, it, <laughs> my wife got so excited. She had a bowl of popcorn. We all got showered <laughs> in popcorn. <laughs> and so the dm's just sitting there and he goes i can't not send these guys sliding back down the shaft like that's one in eight thousand chances like dude. <laughs> it was just like i've never ever recreated something like that before because it, it's such crazy chances absolutely it was, it was just like that will that is immortalized in my brain <laughs> when i die that will be my rosebud is i'll just be like natural 20s Three nat- on your tombstone yeah three, three natural, natural 20s, 20s. <laughs> my favorite moment as a dm was my actual very first session that i ever ran so uh also homebrew setting these guys are in a uh, a cape town called vard um and there's this market that i've set up where they go to and there's um sort of like this eccentric magic shop guy um there's like a general goods store there's a couple specialty stores and so what's been introduced to them is this particular town is being harassed by a tribe of hobgoblins they don't know why but it's this martial force that keeps coming to the you know to the edge of the town and like probing their defenses and whatnot Uh, and it was part of why they were there in that town in the first place so one of these marketers is a hobgoblin and so i kind of use this as a vehicle to show like how people who are becoming more and more stressed and more and more anxious when uh, with the situation they find themselves in can Mm -hmm. kind of turn and point a finger and be like look what you're doing to us when that merchant had nothing to do with it because he'd lived in the city his entire life that merchant's name is uh zekrek so uh, and the wizard guy's name is bellamy and that'll be important in a minute so uh, they're buying a bunch of stuff from Bellamy and they they notice that some of the other shopkeeps are kind of not treating Zekrik so well and he's not getting a whole lot of attention and he's kind of like starting to look a little downtrodden. And I'm thinking this is going to be sort of this thing of like, do we want to help those people and sort of try to inter, you know, yeah. introduce like a moral question of like, should we help these people and show them they're wrong or should we just be aloof to their issues and and you know go the the other direction what i did not expect (laughs) one of these players is is, uh because they're level five to start out because i i wanted to skip past all the all the early stuff and like you know everybody has their subclasses and has a couple things in them what i did not expect is the multi-class uh peace cleric creation bard to just be like hey yo guys let's suddenly have like a surprise inspection and then give that guy an award for having the best shop. And it was this like 45 minute thing of just (laughs) them going around and doing this. And I'm just sitting there like letting them roll with it and laughing and just having a great time in my head. I'm like, this is not the tone I was expecting to do today, but (laughs) here we are. And in the moment I was just like, Oh no, I've lost control of the entire game. But uh, it went so well. It was super fun. And I always look back at that as like, that's kind of the grounding for my uh, for my whole like 
you know, rules but loose sort of sort of way of DMing is that moment. It was to for anybody who's seen Inside Out, that's a core memory. First off, Inside Out, great movie. Second off, thanks for bringing up Pixar. Pixar's great. Yeah. Uh, and that was a great. That's a great tale, dude. I I love, I love it so much when my players do something that just like, is com- is completely opposite of what I expect, what yeah. I have planned, but like so one eighty that you're just like, okay, like I guess this is what we're doing for an hour. Yeah, it is a magical experience, <laughs> dude. It's so good. And those listening out there who are like on the fence of becoming DMs, you too can have these magic moments. For three payments of forty nine ninety five. No, uh, you can you can have these moments too if you just jump in jump in behind the screen and just see where your players are going to take you. It's so it's so cool. Yeah, and there's there's all kinds of of stuff out there to help you. So like, do do not hesitate because like I said a couple of minutes ago, you'll never be ready. Just do it. Exactly, you'll never be ready. Yeah, you know, honestly, on that tip, we'll just wrap the episode. I no I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how to be a GM. You'll never, <laughs> you'll be, never ready. be ready. Just do it. <laughs> podcast over this is the last episode and uh we just gave you all the (laughs) advice you needed uh (laughs) all right so dude thank you so much for sharing those stories that was amazing um let's go ahead and jump into today's topic So today's episode is titled No Longer a Nerdy Niche, the Mainstream Media Footprint on Dungeons and & Dragons. And I'm really excited to talk about this because I feel like Dungeons & Dragons has had such a ride through the mainstream media from its inception to today, like 50, you know, going on almost 50 years. So let's just go ahead and start with the first question, which is going to be looking at the timeline of the media's involvement with Dungeons & Dragons from the inception to now peter can you explain a little bit on how like that has changed over the years well obviously you can't talk about media influence and in D without bringing up the satanic panic it was a it was a huge deal near the start of the game absolutely um as i understand it the satanic panic happened in the first place because that was when the usa was coming out of the cold war and so the the sort of like meta for getting attention in the media um was to you know, point a finger and, and inflame suspicions and fears. And I know a lot of people are probably going to be like, oh, it doesn't sound too different. That's just <laughs> always been the media meta. Right. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, the, the company that produced the game at the time was TSR, which I'm sure you could look up and it'll tell you what it is, but I've, I've never bothered to actually learn what TSR stands for. They were a company that primarily made and marketed kids games. So, okay. D&D was marketed as a kid's game, even though Gary Gygax, who invented it, invented it as an adult, primarily for, you know, young adults and adults like himself. Um, one of the original characters, uh, El Minster, who's in like, you know, almost everything canon D&D, he's part of one of the earliest parties. But uh, yeah, so it it kind of was portrayed as this sort of like a gateway drug kind of a thing. Um, and you know, mo- most people who play D&D or are looking to play D&D are probably at least somewhat familiar mm-hmm. with the Satanic Panic. Uh, and if they're not, they're probably familiar with from, you know, like the, the 70s to the late 90s and early 2000s, the kind of uh, cameos that D&D would have on right. uh, various TV shows. It is, you know, portrayed as this like 
crazy geeky sort of subculture where everybody who plays the game is is has this just ridiculous fervor and has no like concept of how weird they seem Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um which depending on your group can be true (laughs) but it also like true doesn't really matter right right um, but then as, you know, as, as time went on and, you know, panic wasn't really a thing anymore and it was just, you know, especially with the, with the rise of the millennial generation and nostalgia and things like board games, uh, right about also the time of like the rise of the internet, uh, there was, um, tech TV, which became G4 and there was a show, I never actually watched it myself, but there was a show on there called Dungeon Majesty, Oh, interesting. which was, I think. I think it was one of the earliest like actual play kinds of of things. And so having that out there and looking at that and then seeing D&D content pop up on sites like Newgrounds, um, this started reshaping the stereotypes around that. Uh, and right around the same time, you know, people were reading the Witcher books. They were playing World of Warcraft. They were watching Samurai Jack. And so, uh, you know, and then the Lord of the Rings films came out. Right. Uh, and then... You know, more recently, things like uh, Game of Thrones, which is over now, but it was on TV for like a decade. Right, right. Uh, it was that was a long show. <laughs> so between all these things, the fantasy genre just keeps getting more and more and more and more popular. And so people, you know, play the Elder Scrolls games, and you know, like I mentioned, World of Warcraft and these other things. And they're like, well, where where can I get more of this content? And it's like, may I introduce you to Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> uh, which was constantly evolving right, through yeah. this time. Uh, which my my favorite comparison of that is if you look at the art of fifth edition and then you look at the art of the original, like <laughs> my favorite comparison for that is Yinogu, the demon lord, because he <laughs> just look at him. That is that is probably the best glow up in D anD D. A D anD D glow up, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so then it, you get to the to the modern day where you know it was in. Uh, Big Bang Theory. It's been in a bunch of stuff. There's the most profitable show on Twitch is a D&D show. Dude, absolutely. <laughs> if you're watching this, you probably are at least familiar with what I just mentioned. <laughs> yeah, dude. And then like Stranger Things too, like going into that, like it like oh, yeah. blowing up. You know, Stranger Things getting huge and just watching the kids like play d and I watched mm-hmm. Stranger Things before I ever played for the first time. And it got me kind of thinking in the back of my brain. I was like, Oh, Dungeons and Dragons. I've heard of that game. I was told I couldn't play it as a kid. I'm not a kid anymore. I can. I can. Yeah, you're like, I could buy my own cake. <laughs> Nobody can tell me no. <laughs> I can do what I want. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so then I, I, you know, the opportunity opened up and I was able to play and dude, it's great, man. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where you'll, I, I think everybody should try it at least once because it, there's a, there's a lot more to it than just like the game itself. There's a, there's a lot of, like aspects of it that is just really useful to have experienced in life. But at the same time, I don't think it's for everybody because not everybody is going to be comfortable with some of the aspects of the game. Right. But everybody should try it at least once to see if they are for it. I just sound like a doctor over here. I prescribe <laughs> you D and D. Hey, listen, if my doctor could prescribe me D and D, it'd be a good thing. I, I, that's a prescription I would actually love. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just like, you, you can't tell me to come into work. I got to play my, my doctor prescribed D&D for this particular set of hours or it'll mess up my medical schedule. Dude, my, my wife gave me the term the other day, D&D evangelist. 
And it's so true because I'm like, absolutely, that's what I am. Like, yeah. I will tell everybody, I'm oh, like, yeah. you're gonna play Dungeons and Dragons, you're gonna love it. Just, I mean, you might not love it, but that's okay, and that's okay. But give it a try. Like, you should definitely give it a try. Let me let me introduce you to it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's very much like that. You and I are on the same page with that. I mean, I just I just said it. Everybody should play it at least once. So, talking a little bit about that, you know, and and looking at that history, and seeing like the rise, kind of, you know, in the recent years. What are some implications uh, that you think that are both positive and negative that like podcasting and streaming and Twitch have all introduced to uh, D&D and other TTRPGs for that matter? Yeah, and of course, because there's, you know, people stream Warhammer too. And it's, you know, they don't have anything as big as Critical Role, but there's a lot of people who really love Warhammer. And so that's probably the biggest sci-fi one. Yeah. Um, But I, I think overall a negative implication would be um, that when your average person who's never played these games before watches one of these, you know, bigger, much more, you know, financially handled and very popular forms, there's, there's this sort of idea that comes across of like that's what the game should look like right and ideally yes but i find that to be overall negative because then a lot of the time you know your suspension of disbelief you're enjoying the show and you just sort of forget that some of these shows have millions of dollars of production work going into every single session right um and like that that these are their full-time jobs this is what they do um, unlike the average person who plays, who plays it as a hobby. And so they work and then they come home and they have, you know, one or two games a week. Some people have three or four, but, you know, for the most part, it's going to be one or two and it's not their job. And right. they don't have, you know, a dedicated studio. There's plenty of people out there who have like, oh, this is my D&D room with my custom D&D table. But those aren't super common. Uh, so I think the expectation that sort of has naturally come from watching that overall is negative. Um, I would say at the at the same time it's kind of positive because there's you get you're getting a lot more engagement with the game. And as I said, I think it should be played by everybody at least once because it's not just you know telling a story. Even if you're just sticking to the modules, there's there's ethics, there's improv. There's all kinds of stuff. There's, you know, there's social interactions, which there's actually a place up the street for me that's an autism center. They play D&D with those kids to help them grasp, you know, like normal social interactions. And it's like fantastic practice for that. That's amazing. Um, So, yeah, I think those are probably the, the number one on each side for me, the negative and positive implications. Let's have a little bit more into that negative because I think it leads to, you know, you're kind of saying like the absorption, the absorption of of that, you know, a media form like that for D and D or other TTPRGs, you know, they have a ton more money. They're professional voice actors in a lot in some cases, or you know, just professional actors in general. You know, mm-hmm. that's their craft, that's their art, right? And they have yeah. forty hours a week that they can spend writing and uh, setting up games and playing games. Uh, and that leads me to thinking about, you know, everyone knows Critical Role and the controversial uh, controversial Matt Mercer effect um, in DMing. And just to explain that a little bit, you know, just for the listener who might not be aware, Matt Mercer is the DM of Critical Role. 
Uh, he's, I think he's brilliant. I think he's a great DM personally. I mean, people have mixed opinions. I think he's wonderful. Uh, but it leads, you know, people who watch that show to be like, oh, every DM is going to be that good or every DM is going to do it that exact same way, which definitely can be a, you know, lead to a negative experience at the table. So have you experienced kind of like the Matt Mercer effect or, or the, the feeling that you have to be that way? And if so, how do you handle it? So not kind of the second way that you described it. I haven't experienced the Matt Mercer effect as the guy behind the DM screen and the player says, why aren't you doing this like Matt Mercer? I, I haven't had that side of it. I've had the internalized version of it. When I was first going, okay, I'm going to be DM. I got to learn how to DM. Um, my experience, because I wasn't super familiar with Critical Role at the time, as I, you know, I start, I go to online and I'm like, hey, how to be a good DM? And everywhere I look, it's just like Bat Mercer, Bat Mercer. He's the Jesus Christ of D&D. <laughs> So <laughs> he kind of looks it too a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He looks like I, you could cut out a picture of him with that just shawl thing that he wears all the time <laughs> and just put it on grandma's mantle. And she wouldn't realize that that's not Jesus, especially American <laughs> Jesus. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's there. That's him. So, I, I mean, I watched a bunch of other DMS too, but you know, obviously just the sheer amount of hype there was, that was what got me to watch Critical Role is I was like, okay, let me see what this guy does, how he runs his games, et cetera. And then, you know, I found myself 60 episodes into Vox Machina and I was just like, all right, so this is a show I'm watching. Now. <laughs> but how that affected me as a DM in such nascent stages is if something started getting out of hand at the table or, or somebody um, did something that I wasn't expecting in the sense of like going somewhere I didn't have planned because I was still so new and sometimes I still catch myself doing this, I would kind of start to panic a little bit and those old theater genes kick in mm -hmm. and I start just emulating Matt Mercer and I'll catch myself doing that. And then I'm like, you know, be your own DM. Don't, don't just make the same noises he makes. Don't just make the same hand gestures he makes. Right. You can do other accents. And so I'll, I'll kind of, coach myself in that and you know in my off time and my just you know dm prep time but i i think that's that's been my matt mercer effect in uh in my games is is something that i've actually imposed on myself and i go back to my uh bike analogy from earlier it's you know it's like training wheels it's a, it's a fantastic way to start and see a bunch of other dms rapidly yeah. on how they do the game but you know you gotta learn to ride the bike by yourself I got one more question for you. It's a bonus question. It's a little off topic, but that's okay because I really want to talk about it. Is on your pre-call you mentioned how UA or Unearthed Arcana, how that material that's released is, you know, kind of shied away from from DMs a little bit and and kind of not embraced. So first off, can you tell, mm -hmm. you know, tell the listeners kind of, you know, a little bit more about what UA is and then like how do you how do you like think we should be embracing it as DMs? So Probably one of the most common UA that a lot of people who play D&D will most likely be familiar with that I've seen pop up the most was the revised Ranger. Um, I still use the regular Ranger, but when that was introduced, that was UA. That was Unearthed Arcana. So what Unearthed Arcana is, is it's Wizards of the Coast, which is a company that now owns D&D. They create new material uh, and they go, we feel this would add to the game. What does the community think? So it's playtest. You know, it's it's just like when a video game company makes a video game, 
well, they got to have testers for right. it. Um, now, obviously, they're they're playing this at their tables and testing it somewhat, but that's a very limited pool. There are nowadays hundreds of thousands, if not millions and millions of people that play D&D. And that's probably just here in the U.S. Right, right. So and with, you know, with the Internet, that's available everywhere. <laughs> so it's it's very smart for the company to go. What does the community think of this material? Because that's going to be the future of the game. Right. Um, UA content now that gets approved now will be the setting, um, the stepping stones for sixth edition. And then any UA that is brought into sixth edition, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I, I just, I feel that it's a very necessary part of the game and people shouldn't be, you know, so shy about it. It, it It's, you know, give it a try at your table. If you don't like it, don't use it. They have surveys. Tell them you didn't like it. Right. It's it's right there on their website. It's a it's a pretty quick thing. You could just go on there and be like, I don't like it. It feels unbalanced. And then articulate why, because that will help them create better content in the future. Now that you kind of explained it, I feel uh I feel about Unearth Arcana as I feel about voting. Don't complain about the content if you're not willing to go out and test the content and give your feedback and give and let your voice be heard on the on that content yeah especially to to keep the the thing with voting it's so much more effective individually because compared to the entire population of the united states the dnd community you individually have much more power than you do as a voter so true let's make the game of the future a game that we want as a community yeah Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to talk a little bit about that, uh, those topics and answering those questions. But before I let you go, we're going to move on to our brand new segment. Uh, this is the second time we've done it. It's going to look a little bit different than last time, but I'm super stoked. Let's go into Monster Spotlight. Right, Monster Spotlight is back, and this week it's a bit different. Before we recorded, I pulled a random number and gave Peter a CR. So he had to pick a CR7 monster, and I picked one. And now we're going to pit them against each other. Then the fun will start, we'll post a poll, and you, the listener, will get to decide who wins in this fight between the two beasts, creatures, monsters, humanoids, whatever they may be, because I have no clue who Peter's bringing into the ring. So with that, Peter... As the guest, you go first. Who's entering the ring? So, coming from the depths of Gehenna, we have the Night Hag. One of the most powerful forms of hag in the game. She is the only kind of hag that is considered a fiend. They are the original makers of the Yugoloths, and they are some serious business. Night Hag, dude, that is terrifying. Uh, Okay, so we have a Night Hag in one corner. Entering the ring on my side is a half man, half octopus. That's the best way I can describe him. Tentacles just all over the place with extremely good mind powers. We have the mysterious, the oddly beautiful mind flayer. Oh, bring him in. Now that is, that is a matchup. Dude, I can imagine him coming into Cape, just like billowing in the wind, you know, kind of like instead of the hair, cause he's kind of bald. Like the tentacles are just kind of like slicking back. Just sort of, yeah. (laughs) And just staring with those alien eyes. All right. So they're in the ring. 
Here we go. The bell has rung. Round one. Mind Flayer versus Night Hag. Peter, give me your pitch. Why do you think Night Hag is going to win this? Well, I think the Night Hag is going to take it because as alien as the aberrant Mind Flayer might be, these ladies have seen some stuff. They <laughs> built the Yugoloths. They can change shape. They got magic resistance. They can haunt that psionic's <laughs> dreams, which for a psionic, that's got to be devastating. They have an armor class of 17. They got 112 average hit points. They can teleport. They've got all kinds of different spells. They never play fair. They always play dirty. It is some crazy stuff. And on top of that, just like the Mind Flayer has access to the, you know, the psionic memory of their entire colony, Night Hags can form covens, which will give her access to greater spell casting, access to allies, mm. access to different knowledge. Um, and then on top of that, they have the Night Hag items. So they have their Heartstone, which allows her to simply just become ethereal. Um, and then she also has her soul bag. So if she catches that night flare sleeping, game over. All right. I see that. I respect that. Night hag is hashtag girl boss for sure. Uh, okay. So mind flare. Here's what I think. First off, let's, we have to talk about dominating monster, right? Um, which I believe would apply in this case, right? Cause it's a, yeah, it's a creature and yeah. So what's what's a what's a night hag's wisdom? She has a default wisdom of fourteen. So you got me there. Oof. Okay, so there we go. I think that that would be the strategy, right? For for the mind flayer coming in. First off, he's very he's very handsome. So I think you know by night hag standards, he's a ten. And I think that you know he first off, it'd be it'd be very hard, right, for a night hag to resist his charm just in that way. But then he can actually charm her with a little uh, with a little. I was gonna say a little domination. And a little, <laughs> a little, little something, little something, something, something. Uh, his little specialty, you know, and and then once he once he has that, it's a it's an hour, you know, he could he can do whatever he wants in an hour, right? You got you got him for an hour, like walk her off a cliff somewhere. Actually, that probably wouldn't kill her. She has a lot of hit points, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's there's a certain maximum. There. Uh, you know, I mean, that's just one thing. You know, we're talking you know, mind blasting and messing with your mind. I feel like he could bring back some images uh, that that hag probably doesn't want to remember. You know, I'm sure she had to go through some like witcher trials, you know, to, to become a night hag. You know, no one wants to remember those memories. No. <laughs> like, how does a hag become a hag? Well, uh, it's not pretty. I'll tell you that right now. It's, you know, <laughs> so I don't know, man. That's actually that's actually pretty close, though, I think. Yeah. Well, I kind of pulled a little bit of a fast one on you because the uh, um, the regular Night Hag is actually a CR5, but was listed with the CR7 with access to the Coven. So we'll see how that goes down. Gotcha. You're right. Yeah, because and then there's a whole other like it could be like some hocus pocus like happening, man. Like oh, yeah. Night Hag showing up fighting and then all of a sudden just two other sisters show up and they're just like, yo, what's up? Like we're here and we're going to ruin your day. I don't think I'm, I don't think a Mind Flayer yeah. can take three. I think you take one. I don't think you take three. Yeah, I don't know about that. Even even with just one more, all she needs is one ally within thirty feet of her. So if they're in the ring and she's in the stands, plus with that uh, that magic resistance giving her advantage against the charm, I think she's got this. All right, so voters, feel free to vote and tell us who you think will win. 
Mind Flayer versus Coven Night Hag. So we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much again, Peter. Um, but before I let you go, I ask all of my dungeon masters to give us a tip, be it a key takeaway from today's episode, or just life in general, or free therapy, or life, or what you know, whatever you want to give. So with that, Peter, what do you got for us? Okay, so I'm kind of a little ghetto. I grew up poor. I uh, you know I still live in the urban situation, so I know a, a daunting thing for new GMs can be um, looking at the cost of minis and looking at the cost of all this stuff that's like, oh, you got to have this to play the game. For sure. And I know for me, I went to my local game store and I'm looking at, you know, Elf Ranger, Goblin, et cetera, et cetera. And, and before recent price hikes, I'm looking at like, you know, 11.98 per mini. And I'm like, that's a lot of gas money. <laughs> so uh, my solution to that is actually this red box back here. Um, so what I did is I went to a craft store for me personally, it was Michael's. Um, although if you got a Michael's, if you got a Hobby Lobby, anything like that near you, um, you can probably find these there as well. And, um, I don't have any of my Michael's one in here. It's just actual things of wine. So I have wine corks. They're about an inch tall. Um, and you can put scotch tape on one side of them and you use a dry erase marker and you can just put the number on there for your thing. Uh, and now you have access to just like a whole lot of minis for your table. And I got a box that was like two dozen of them was like 10 bucks. Um, so I think that was two boxes, but the point is I went from paying, you know, 11 for one mini to $5 for 12 basically. And the way that I run my games is I have, uh, everybody's health and whatnot is in one single app where it's got you know, goblin number one, goblin number two, goblin number three. Yeah. And so I, I remember one of my early DMs when I was a player was looking at this battle map and we had a bunch of different enemies and he was like, I don't remember which orc that was. <laughs> and so the first time I was writing scotch tape or I was putting scotch tape and writing, um, writing on the top of one of these with dry erase markers, so you can just wipe it off and use it again. I was thinking, yeah, that's goblin number three right there. You know how I can tell? Cause it's got a green three on it. <laughs> Uh, and if you if you're a millennial like me and you drink a lot of wine there's more corks for you just put it in the box listen it's a two for one special literally you get to drink the you get to enjoy drinking the wine and then you have a mini that's just your it's a forever mini yeah and of course if your players want to have minis like that's way easier to tackle than having just like your childhood toy box full of toys except they're all you know really expensive minis Absolutely. I, I love that idea. I I have something a little bit similar. I, I mean, I, I splurged a little bit. It still was a good deal. I bought like those Path the Pathfinder bestiary like cardboard uh, monsters yeah. and humanoids and things like that. I bought a couple packs of those and they have a little like they came with the stands and everything. But you have to get inventive. And these, you know, they don't yeah. have every single monster. So I'll be like, all right, this little this little like goblin is actually a zombie. And then I put him on the stand and then I your scotch tape idea is actually brilliant I was using like like post-it notes like half of post-it notes and just like sticking it on there and being like or a zombie three so that I could remember which we were on the on the train map but 
Yeah. Dude, corkscrews, that's so, that's so much easier. Who cares? Dude, well, that's a really cool tip, man. And I think the big takeaway is like, hey, listen, you don't need all the fancy stuff. You know, if you want to collect fancy stuff, go for it. You know, whatever. Build your collection up over time. Hey, and if you have a lot of money, well, first, must be yeah. nice. But second, go out and bu- <laughs> go out and buy all the minis. That's fine. But if you're like, if you're like yeah. the normal, like, I won't say the normal DM, but if you're like me and like Peter and you don't have a ton of res- extra resources to throw into the game, dude, that wine cork idea is brilliant. Well, thank you so much again for taking time out of your day to come talk to us. Um, I loved having you here, man, and I enjoyed our conversation. So I hope everyone gained insight from the conversation. As I stated at the beginning, go check out the tutorial. It's on YouTube. I'll put a link to the latest episode so you can get right to the video, and then you can see the catalog of videos from there that they've posted. Where can listeners contact you to, to connect with you? Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and leave my email open. If you have any questions, anything else, if you just want to be like, Hey, here's another idea or Hey, do you have advice about this? Um, my email, you can reach me at, uh, Zeta Sigma, like the Greek letters, but spelled out, uh, seven, seven, seven at Gmail. And that is the one that's connected to my phone. So if I'm just walking about and I get that little, like, Hey, there it is. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. We'll put that email also in the show notes. So you have a direct link to contact Peter, dude. It's been pure joy. Thank you so much for being on, man. It has been great. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of Everyday Dungeon Master. If you enjoyed today's show, please give us a follow on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And if you feel inclined, drop us a rating and a review. If you're a dungeon master and you want to appear on a future episode of the show, or if you're a player or DM and just want to give us feedback or a future topic suggestion, or just tell me why you think the Mind Flayer would win, totally fine too. Uh, Everyday Dungeon Master at Outlook.com. You can get me there, or you can get me on Facebook and Twitter at Everyday DM Pod. Would love to connect with you all. Thank you so much for listening. Happy gaming, nerdy adventures. This is Heath. I'll catch you next time. ahead and lay us lay lay on us lay it (laughs) go ahead hold on (laughs) lay it on lay it i don't know i'm kind of (laughs) heavy i'm a big dude (laughs) 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 oh